Here we go. West Hills Friends is a Quaker meeting in Portland, Oregon. You can find more information about our community at westhillsfriends.org. As a Quaker community, we encourage everyone to share from their hearts, especially as it pertains to God's leading in their lives. These words are shared into a community that values the opportunity to respond and dialogue about what is said. The responses and dialogue are not included in this recording. The views expressed in this content are solely those of the original contributors. And do not necessarily speak for the entire West Hills Friends community. Thank you for listening. Have a wonderful day. Thank you for listening. Have a wonderful day. Scripture reading today comes from Mark's Gospel. The page number is printed on the cover of the bulletin if you are inclined to read along. Jesus and his disciples went on to the villages around Caesarea Philippi. On the way, he asked them, who do people say I am? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, one of the prophets. But what about you, Jesus asked, who do you say I am? Peter answered, you are the Messiah. Jesus warned them not to tell anyone about him. He then began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed, and after three days rise again. He spoke plainly about this. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But when Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter. Get behind me, Satan, he said. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. Stories are important to us. Stories matter. You can see this unfolding in politics. What does Donald Trump think about the cost of prescription drugs? What does Hillary Clinton think about nuclear power? To a surprising degree, it doesn't matter. When it comes right down to it, this election isn't about policy, it's about the kind of story we want to tell. The story of Donald Trump might be called Make America Great Again. It is a story about ineffective leaders who have flinched in the face of foreign aggression. Instead of standing tall, we negotiated. We allowed brown people to cross our borders. We strangled American business with the choking vines of high taxes and environmental regulations. If you see yourself in this narrative, you are probably inclined to support Trump. The story of Hillary Clinton might be called the first female president of the United States. 
It is a story about all the obstacles that women must overcome in order to receive equal treatment. As a competent senator and secretary of state, Hillary Rodham Clinton has paid her dues. Now she deserves our support as a bulwark against the dangerous and unpredictable behavior of Donald Trump. If you see yourself in this narrative, you are probably inclined to support Hillary Clinton. Few of us become avid supporters of any particular candidate because of policy. It's more about participating in a story that matters to us. We feel inspired when we can place ourselves inside a larger narrative. Politicians understand how important it is to control the narrative. Whatever else you may think about Donald Trump, he is a master of controlling the narrative. From little Marco to crooked Hillary, Trump likes to bestow a belittling nickname on each of his political opponents. Each nickname defines the story he wants to tell. By repeating the name over and over, Trump reinforces his version of the story. He can do it with one word. Someone who is skilled at controlling the narrative isn't necessarily skilled at revealing the deeper truth. That's because controlling the narrative will shape how people perceive the truth. If you control the narrative, you can keep some ideas at the center of public attention and push other ideas to the periphery. That's why those in politics work so hard to control the narrative. You can also see this dynamic at work when someone like Muhammad Ali dies. Last week, Erica and I watched a program about Ali's life on network television. We heard a little bit about Ali's refusal to join the army, but we certainly didn't hear the quote, the draft is about white people sending black people to fight yellow people to protect the country they stole from the red people. <laughs> That's a great quote, but apparently it's still not something you say on network television. <laughs> Nor did USA Today publish that quote when they printed the 30 greatest quotes of Muhammad Ali. Who gets to control the story of Muhammad Ali? Do we get to hear Muhammad Ali say, I am America, I am the part you won't recognize? Or is it a better story if we make Ali less confrontational? We do this with those who challenge the foundations of our society. When we eulogize them, we change their narrative. We sanitize them for wider public audiences. We take someone like Muhammad Ali or Martin Luther King and we make them part of a story called Keep Fighting for Your Dream. That's a nice story. And that's one we can more easily manage. If you control the narrative, you get to decide what the struggle is about. You get to name the plot. You get to define the heroes and the villains. And so we want to control the narrative. We want to make sure that the story is told in a way that represents our interests. This has been going on for a long time. 2,000 years ago, Jesus asked his disciples, who do people say I am? 
What is the story people tell about me? But even in those days, people weren't sure what to make of Jesus. Some people thought he was in the mold of John the Baptist. Others thought he was more like Elijah or one of the prophets. Peter said, you are the Christ. Jesus says, don't talk about that. And right away, he challenges everyone's understanding of what it means to be the anointed one. Jesus then began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. Jesus spoke plainly about this. Peter, who was a major stakeholder in the narrative about Jesus, <laughs> had strong reservations. Peter did not like this version of the story. Suffering and getting rejected is not a good plan, Jesus. Getting killed is not a good plan. Coming back from the dead sounds impressive, but it's not something we want to make the centerpiece of our narrative. It's the dying part. It's depressing, really, and it's scary. People are squeamish about this. Peter didn't like this version of the story, and so he rebukes Jesus. Offer them glory. Offer them long life. Offer them victory over their enemies. Jesus returns the rebuke. Get thee behind me, Satan. You know, that's a line that Hillary might find useful. <laughs> it's a pretty strong response, isn't it? <laughs> Jesus draws a very firm line. He refuses to negotiate the narrative. He warns Peter, you don't have in mind the things of God, but human things. If we bring God into the narrative, we have to be very careful. We have to be very careful because our temptation is always to make God a part of our story. We want God to be a special guest star in the drama of our lives. Or we want God to provide the special effects. That would be cool. Or maybe we want God to be a prop, like Chekhov's gun on the mantelpiece. We want to know that God will make some contribution before the curtain falls. Our temptation is to make God part of our story. But God is not the special guest star. God is not a prop. God is the center. If God appears in the narrative, then God gets top billing. God takes center stage. God is the center. Ultimately, we have to decide, are we going to control the narrative? Or are we going to find our place in the story that God is telling? One path is about asserting our control and making sure the story is told in the way we would tell it. The other path is about humbly listening for direction. I think we have to decide which path are we going to take. When Peter identifies Jesus as the anointed one, Jesus speaks plainly about what that really means. 
The Christ is not someone who conquers by force of will. Being the Christ is not a path to glory. It is a humble path through suffering and rejection and death. Peter wants to control the narrative. When Jesus says, get behind me, I don't think he's telling Peter, get out of my sight. I think he's telling Peter, you need to follow. You need to get behind me. You can't follow someone and still be in control. You have to decide. We live in a world of competing narratives. Some of those narratives are harmful to us. There are narratives that ascribe values to gender and race and age and physical ability and all kinds of things. There are all kinds of narratives. Some of them need to be resisted. But if we accept that our work is controlling the narrative, we are creating a world of winners and losers. We are creating a world in which some people are part of the right story and some people are part of the wrong story. Controlling the narrative is about making sure our side wins. I think Jesus is calling us to something else. There is one story that gives every person a place of honor and dignity and respect. There is one story that can hold every other story like facets on the face of a diamond Finding our place in God's story isn't a way to separate believers from atheists. It isn't a way to separate the faithful from the heretical. Finding our place in God's story is how we step outside of ourselves long enough to make room for other people. As Quakers, we believe that we can hear and know God's story when we make room for every voice. It is by telling our stories that we most fully see what God is trying to do among us. Everyone gets to tell his or her own story. Instead of reworking that story into the narrative of our choosing, we listen for how these stories weave together into a larger narrative that reveals the heart of God. How does your story help reveal the heart of God? How do you hold the truth of your story and still make room for other stories that challenge and transform your understanding of the truth?